for. Um, I take for granted whenever I see new folks among us that it is the will of God that you are here. You're probably saying, well, preacher, it just so happened that this didn't work out and that didn't work out and I'm just here kind of because things didn't work out. No, you don't understand. There's a God that's trying to reach you. You just don't understand the eternal things. But we are thankful that you're with us. And uh, we're so thankful that all of us are in the presence of a holy God that loves us and has chosen to be among men. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 3, begin reading in verse 1. Hallelujah. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. Now before your mind starts to wander, because I realize you're in a new place tonight if you're a visitor, or if you've been with us before, maybe this is old hat to you. But let me just build a foundation in your mind so that we just don't blow smoke tonight and this is just another hour or so that you've wasted. Eve was given a commandment by through the lips of her husband that we're not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam's nowhere around. Eve is isolated and now she is being confronted with the arch enemy of humanity which is Satan himself. And the devil, in direct contrast to the Word of God, says you will not surely die. God said you will die. devil says you won't die. Verse 5, the devil goes on to back up his word with this. For God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. That portion was correct. The lie was that you wouldn't die. But we're going to see what happens when they did eat. All this other stuff happened. And look at Eve now. She responds to this lie and does this. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Both Eve and Adam did eat. Now verse 7 shows us the direct result of disobeying God. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. The reason that they sewed fig leaves together was they realized they were naked. Now the devil said their eyes were going to be open and they would know good and evil. That's exactly what happened to them. Verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. 
And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now, God and Adam had had communication and relationship up until this disobedience. My text is verse 10 and 11. And Adam responded to God by saying, Where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid. Everybody say, I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. And this is what God said to that. Who told you that you were naked? Adam says, I heard your voice and I was afraid. You're going to hear the voice of God tonight. You'll either respond with fear or you respond with acceptance. All of humanity is caught in what Adam was exemplifying here. Drawing your attention to Proverbs 14. Appreciate your patience and standing. If you, don't, if you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you, please look on with somebody that's around you. Look around and find somebody that maybe there's a visitor sitting near you that doesn't have a word with the Word with them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Proverbs 14. Verses 26 and 27. Now we just, we just read in Genesis chapter 3 how that after sin, Adam was afraid. Proverbs 14, 26 says this, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and His children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. To depart from the snares of death. The message I'm to preach to you, the two dimensions of fear. The two dimensions of fear. And every human being that's with under the sound of my voice tonight, you are in bondage of fear, or you are in another dimension of fear. But every human being that's born into this world is motivated by one dimension or another of fear. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your powerful spirit that we feel in this place tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you will rest the attention of those that are walking the course of life with an unknown destination. Uh, they may think they know where they're going, God, but they're not living according to your word. They don't know exactly what the end result of their lives will hold. Father, we pray that you will open up their minds and their hearts to understand for a few moments tonight to make a rational decision. Hallelujah. God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for they that have been, are here with us tonight. I pray that your hand is upon them as they travel home. Gird them about, God, with a hedge of strength that they may retain what they hear tonight to make a decision for salvation. 
We ask it in the awesome name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated and let's give the Lord a hand praise. Hallelujah. I want to read to you some statistics that were taken by a denominational group before I get started in this message tonight. It was taken uh, from a group that was out of the denominal world. And uh, of course their prerequisites for salvation vary from group to group. But I want to read you some figures for your consideration tonight. Did you know that 19 out of every 20 people that become Christians do so before the age of 25? That's right. 19 out of 20 people that become Christians do so before the age of 25. After the age of 25, 1 in 10,000 makes a decision to live for Jesus Christ. After the age of 35, 1 in 50,000. After the age of 45, 1 in 200,000 people will make a decision for the Lord. By the age of 55, 1 in 300,000 people will make a decision to get their, their lives in alignment with eternity. By the age of 65, one and a half a million people will make a choice for Jesus Christ. And the astounding number by the age of 75, one in 700,000 people will make a decision for the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm told that you cannot teach an old dog new tricks. And I certainly don't equate human beings with dogs but I will tell you this there is a blinding and a hardening that comes to the human experience as an as an individual becomes aged becomes weary with the walk of life they look at the value the precious value of coins that slip through their fingers into the sands of time and they see that the choice of actually turning around and making a decision differently from how they're living becomes paling by the comparison of their age. Did you know that a half a million suicides take place around our world every day? Hallelujah. 500,000 souls go out into eternity. Hallelujah. I wonder if they really know where they're going tonight. A lot of the type of things that I will be talking about tonight are uncomfortable for the world to endure. The reason that many people do not come into apostolic church services like you have tonight is because the reality of God's Word uh, causes man to make a rational decision. And by the end of my sermon tonight, by the help of the Lord, you will make a decision for God instead of a decision for yourself. Hallelujah. In this scripture that I read to you in your hearing in Genesis chapter 3, we find the totality of and we find the pristine figure of God's creation in Adam and Eve. Hallelujah. We find as we even flip back even before the creation of Adam and Eve, that God and His omnipresence and omniscience and ubiquitous power created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. We see that God spoke light into existence. We see that God saw the light and that it was good and divided light from dark. Hallelujah. Still not exiting from the first chapter of the book of Genesis. It tells us, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female. God created he them. 
And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth. Hallelujah. And he gave man to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creeps upon the earth. Hallelujah. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Hallelujah. What you need to understand tonight, ma'am, what you need to understand, sir, is in the inception of the cradle of time, Man was not created to be under dominion of a stack of bills or a stack of depression or a stack of demonic oppression that greets you day in and night out and night out. But you were meant to have dominion over your life. God had proposed to man and stamped it with his approval in creation that you are to have dominion over your very life. God said, I've given you all of terra firma. I've given you over all of flora and fauna. And I've given by the power of your hand to replenish the earth and to subdue it. That is a promise that God initially gave to man. That is a promise that has been broken on man's side. And man actually came under the dominion of another force. And we're going to talk about that. Hallelujah. But God did bless them. And God did say, be fruitful. God did say to multiply, and God did say replenish. And so you that are living your life outside the boundaries of God, you are not really able to live this type of life. But I thank God if you get in the church, we've still got that promise. Hallelujah. 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 And so we see that there is no higher authority than he that spoke the world into existence. And it was he that had given the scepter of authority upon this ball of mud that we call earth. God gave to Adam and Eve. And so we see that it was Adam that had all dominion. He had all authority. It went unchallenged. It went, uh, it went without walls. It went without confine. It went without revolving doors. It went without windows. He had the promises of God. He had dominion over his own life. Hallelujah. Unchallenged. Unquestioned. Hallelujah. But we see in Genesis chapter 3 that the clear story that unfolds before our eyes begins to dim. When we see that the arch enemy and the archangel of error begins to deal with Eve. God had commanded Adam and Eve that they could eat of every tree of this lush garden called Eden. But there's only one tree in the midst of the garden that I do not want you to eat. And that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And once you eat of it, you shall surely die. Hallelujah. They could do whatever they want. They could replenish. They could tend the garden. They could live in harmony with the holy God. They could do that which was pleasing in his eye and have dominion and subdue anything that they could possibly dream up, dream up in their minds. Hallelujah. But when the tempter comes, the story changes. Hallelujah. Eve did well to quote what her husband had told her because you see God actually gave that promise to Adam and Adam did relay it to his wife and so we see the weaker of the two Eve and I don't want to fight any feminists tonight but that's just the way it is hallelujah hallelujah boy don't get me started on that <laughs> 
But that's a sign of the time is to try to get a woman over a man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But anyway, we see that Eve has actually been isolated by the enemy. And she has been isolated for a certain purpose. And that was to be tempted by the devil. And we see in this temptation that she did good to quote the Word of God to the best of her ability. But she did not stand her ground. Hallelujah. It was in contrast to the Word of God that the devil said that you shall not surely die. For God does know in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And so Eve listened to this proposal. Eve conjured in her mind really what it would be like to be as gods and to have my eyes opened. You have to understand tonight, friend, that the original proposal that brought you and I into our present dilemma was a proposal to a life outside of the Word of God. And that's why the ministry is doing what it can to even reach Christians who have built their lives outside the confines of this black back book. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The devil proposed a life outside of the authority of God's Word. Hallelujah. And so we see that Eve listened to this and she did succumb to it. And she saw that the tree was good for food. And that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desired to make one wise. She took of it and did eat and gave to Adam. And the very first thing that they recognized was that there was sin. You see, the definition of sin, friend, is separation. The very first thing that they recognized was that they were separated from the presence of a holy God. The Bible says their eyes of them were both opened and they knew that they were naked. For the sake of this discourse tonight, I would like to explain, in my opinion, that we have the birth of conscience. Because you see, conscience is that entity that dwells within the bosom of man that is able to let you know whether you've done good or whether you've done bad. It's that mechanism within man that incites guilt. It incites condemnation. And ever since the fall of man, it has become a weapon in the hand of Satan to bring guilt and condemnation upon the human race. I'm not saying that the guilt was not real as an objective sense, but the guilt that comes within your bosom is not necessarily reality in the presence of a holy God. But in this case, it was. Hallelujah. And so their only way of escaping that inner recognition of things are not right was to sew fig leaves together and to try to hide their vital parts. Praise God. But we see that man for the last 8,000 years is still trying to sew his little fig leaves together. You can have the biggest building in town. You can have the biggest house. You can have the tallest hedges. You can hide behind the biggest bank account. You can have Blue Shield and Medicare, Medi-Cal and all that junk. It don't matter because when the bell tolls and you stand before a holy God, the little fig leaf will be raked back and it will be seen whether you're covered with blood or not. Hallelujah. 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 Upon hearing the voice of God, 
after there was division between them and God. There was division between him and his wife. And last and not least, there was division within self. They were divided within themselves. Because you see, the weapon of the enemy, once you succumb to it, brings division. Hallelujah. Upon hearing the voice of God, after embarking on this this horror of a journey, Adam and Eve hid themselves in the midst of the garden. Hallelujah. They were experiencing the most basic and elementary of every human fear. And it is the fear of judgment from a holy God. Hallelujah. Many of you that are sitting here tonight, you cannot really put your finger on it. And you cannot really get it into a proper perspective of really understand what I'm saying here. Because there's so much that is built on top of this in which you live on the surface of your life. But at the very root of your existence is the fear of standing before a holy God. Hallelujah. The second most powerful fear that is also exemplified here is the fear of rejection among fellow human beings. Hallelujah. 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 We see that when God did confront Adam and Eve, He knew that their covering would not be a covering that would placate His wrath. Because you see, sin always demands something to be paid. When there is something that's been done wrong, there is payment to be made. And according to God's Word and throughout the Old Testament and the law that God imposed, there always had to be the shedding of blood. And so we see in the book of Genesis after God finally gets back together with Adam and Eve that he took off their fig leaves and he went out and slew an animal and covered Adam and Eve with animal skins. That is the very first time of the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. Hallelujah. There's a lot of people that don't understand that without blood on your soul and blood on your heart that you're not right with God. That's what's wrong with our world today. They think they can run to the beat of their own heart not recognizing that the Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so Adam and Eve had begun to run their life pal-mal down a winding road of being under the dominion of fear. Once they were in dominion of their own life, but after tasting the momentary delights of sin, had come under the crushing blow of the dominion of fear. Hallelujah. Proverbs 29 and 25 says this, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Fear drives us within ourselves to escape judgment from God and judgment from others. Before I'm done tonight, you're going to see that this thing is so graphic, not only in society, but in your very own life. I'm sure you'll find it shocking. Hallelujah. Fear was a basic motivating factor for many of the patriarchs of the faith of the Word of God. Abraham was motivated by fear to go into Egypt after God had called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees because there was famine in the land in Genesis 12. Abraham journeyed into Egypt and he lied to Ahimelech and said, Sarah is but my half-sister and do not take a portion of her. Do not take her 
because there will be judgment upon me. But Abraham lied again. First of all, instead of building an altar unto God, he was motivated by fear and went into Egypt. Secondly, he lied to the king, not wanting his wife to be taken, but put her in a family situation. He lied again. And because he lied and was motivated by fear, he lost his testimony in Egypt before Ahimelech. Hallelujah. It was fear that motivated Abraham after they had received promise by the word of the Lord that she would conceive with child, though older in age. Hallelujah. Abraham was motivated by fear to go into Hagar and to produce Ishmael. And can you believe when you pick up your morning paper, they're still fighting 7,000 years later because a man was motivated by fear. Where do you think they came from? There's a lot of people that want to live from day to day, escaping yesterday. And that's because you're driven by fear. Hallelujah. 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 King Saul, because the nation of Israel feared to deal with God face to face, said, give us a king. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you your king because you won't communicate with me face to face. And he rose up and chose Saul. Now Saul was fraught with problems. Many people don't even recognize what was the root of Saul's problem. But I'm going to rake it all back for you tonight and show you in living color what his situation was. King Saul was motivated by fear. When surrounded by the Philistines, he performed the duties of the high priest when he went in and offered a sacrifice to God. And as soon as he had offered up a sacrifice to God, that Samuel walked on the scene and says, What is this that thou hast done? It was fear that motivated Saul. And fear, if it motivates you, will grind you and push you further into sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul was commanded to utterly destroy the Amalekites because Saul had taken on the duties that he was never called to do. God gave him a second chance to redeem his name and to remain as king over Israel. So he was commanded to kill the Amalekites. The Amalekites, you may remember, were people that opposed Israel when they walked through the wilderness from going into their territory and getting cool water for their parched tongues. And they refused them. And so Israel had to keep moving on. And God took note of that and said, when I get a man to take care of the job, I'm going to send him your way, friend. And so Saul was called upon to do the job. Hallelujah. But when Saul utterly destroyed this group of people, he kept apart for the people. The Bible says he saved the king Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fatlings and lambs and all that was good. And Samuel was sent to confront him. Hallelujah. God woke up Samuel and said, I am displeased that I have chosen Saul to be king. Hallelujah. Because he has rejected my word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Get the picture tonight, friend. Samuel walks on the scene. Saul walks out and says, praise the Lord. I've done the will of the Lord. Samuel says, how come I hear all this crying of the sheep, moaning of the oxen? And Saul says, what are you talking about? I've done the will of the Lord. And Samuel says, hey, you've disobeyed the word of the Lord. 
Rebellion is his witchcraft and stubbornness is his idolatry because the byproduct of fear is rebellion and stubbornness. Hallelujah. There's a lot of people that want to live their lives outside of the word of God. And it really means you're motivated by fear and not love. Hallelujah. So Saul and Samuel began this very famous discourse. And like a tennis ball going over the net, it went from Samuel unto Saul. Saul unto Samuel. And Samuel finally said, the Lord has rejected you of being king because you've rejected the word of the Lord. And finally it was the straw that broke the camel's back. And Saul said, I've sinned. And I have disobeyed. Why did he do it? The Bible says out of his own mouth, because I feared the people. He feared rejection from his own people. So he was motivated by fear more than the word of God. But that dominion over man by fear started back in the garden when fallen humanity was under the heel of fear. Rejection always begets rejection. And because Saul feared rejection from people rather than by God, Samuel said, you've been rejected as king. Hallelujah. 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 How does fear motivate the unbelievers that are among us tonight? I pray that somehow you will be able to understand what this preacher is building on so that you can understand Hallelujah. Fear breeds a conglomeration of emotional ills and hang-ups. I'm going to mention to you probably the four most basic types of fear, even though there's a heading of two. The fear of judgment from God and the fear of rejection among men. But they breed a lot of other emotional Ill, ills and hang-ups that we patty-cake around on a day-to-day -day basis that have their root in fear. The first dimension of fear. Guilty fear leads to anxiety and stress-related problems. Guilty fear is a direct byproduct of the knowledge of sin and a guilty conscience. Hallelujah. The fear of commitment leads to laziness, slothfulness, unwillingness to better yourself. When men won't get out and get a job and provide for the family, at the very bottom of a lot of it is the fear of commitment. The fear of failure leads to depression, repression, withdrawal from society, passivity, and indifference. And the fear of rejection leads to insecurity, bitterness, status orientation, loneliness, isolation, and paranoia. Hallelujah. I'm glad when I received the Holy Ghost, I was delivered from that first dimension of fear. All assorted of phobias and hang-ups Stress. Did you know that stress is the number one problem in America today? And when stress begins to be a problem among Christians, it usually means that they're not falling on their knees enough and calling upon the one that can put it away. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The newspaper columnist Ann Landers receives an average of 10,000 letters a day. She was once asked, what is the most common problem that people express to you? She said, people are afraid. They're afraid of death. They're afraid of losing a loved one. It seems that people are even afraid of life itself. 
And it's no reason and it's no big explanation mystery to me why all these psychologists and psychiatrists are making literally millions of human beings that think they're going nuts and they're afraid. Why? Because Satan knows that the bottom line is human beings are in the first dimension of fear and he's got the dominion over them because they lost it 7,000 years ago. The devil say you've got cancer. You're over in a doctor's office. The devil tells some saint of God, you've got an inflamed gizzard. And you're over there seeing old doctor who it is. We laugh, but it's the truth. The devil plays with our fear. The first dimension of fear is what came with Adam. It's part of Adam's sin. And the byproduct of sin and separation from God was that there was fear in the bottom heart of man. And the devil knows how to wield that thing and use it to his benefit. All because man was created in God's image and is separated from God. Fear is actually the loneliness of the human soul for God. If this message was to ever get out over the airwaves and preached to 250 million Americans, you'd have people flocking to this place because they're afraid. They're fearful. They don't know where they're going. They're afraid. Because the devil actually has dominion over your life because you forfeited it through Adam 7,000 years ago. You don't even understand how this fear controls you. The reason is, is because it's part of you. Fear you can't pay the bills. Fear no one will like you. Fear what mom and dad going to think. Fear what the boss is going to say. Fear about if your foot falls off. Fear about if you get AIDS. Fear about them not paying the bills. Fear about getting your car repossessed. Fear about this. Fear about that. Fear about this. And you're boxed in. You're actually under the dominion of the first dimension of fear. Hallelujah. A lot of these mental places and these places that houses a lot of nuts, the bottom line is they've been driven there by fear. And when the devil controls a child of God by fear, there's something wrong. You don't know who you are. The second dimension of fear is this. The first dimension came with Adam's fall. And every human being is hiding behind their little fig leaf, afraid of God and afraid of one another. But the second dimension actually delivers you from the first dimension. Proverbs 9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalms 19 says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Proverbs 14 says in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Hallelujah. Psalms 115 says he will bless them that fear him, both small and great. Sir, you won't bend your knee to Jesus? Then stay in bondage to your fear and allow it to weld your life to death. Psalms 34 and 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth about them that fear the Lord. You don't get an angelic visitation until you fear the Lord. 
and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation Proverbs 29 and 25 the fear of man bringeth a snare you know what that says when you start fearing man and there's a lot of fear that comes to young Christian girls while I'm on that subject the fear that you'll never marry, you'll never find Mr. Right, I'm telling you, that's from the devil. He wants you to marry Mr. Wrong. And he'll put pressure on you. Fear of man is a snare. When you fear man greater than God, then the devil can move in and begin to operate. It's a snare. A snare is something that catches and holds and binds but the fear of the Lord actually releases and gives power and gives liberty Luke chapter 12 and verse 5 but I will forewarn you whom you shall fear says Jesus fear him which after he is killed has power to cast into hell yea I say unto you fear him the reason your young people are running pell-mell, they don't have no fear of God. Because you don't have a fear of God. Paul said to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Hallelujah. That's not the first dimension of fear. That's the second dimension of fear, which is based in love. I've heard it said that the two greatest forces are love and hate. It's not true. The two greatest forces are love and fear. Because perfect love casts out fear. You combine fear and anger and you become angry with fear long enough and you'll learn to hate. Hate is a composite of fear and anger. The fear that Paul's talking about in the second dimension of fear is actually a reverence, an awe, a standing of awe of a holy God that loves you and shed blood for you in His magnificence. His awesomeness. It is a wholesome dread of displeasing Him which banishes the terror that shrinks from His presence. The fear of the Lord that's actually based in love casts out the first dimension of fear that binds. There's 365 fear knots in the Bible. Hallelujah. And it's never been the will of God for any human being to be motivated by fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1 says this, We have not received the spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. And if you're under the wielding grasp of fear tonight, you don't even know where you're going. You're confused. You're in the web of confusion. And you're motivated by fear. First John 4 and 18 says there is no fear in love. You want to get rid of your fear tonight, friend? Fall in love all over again with Jesus Christ. The problem is some of us have to humble ourselves a little further than we're willing to go. 
we feel like we've attained. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear has torment. That word torment actually means punishment. The punishment or the fear that was the direct residual from Adam's sin was inner punishment for his sin. And it's in the bosom of every, every man, woman, and child across this globe. I don't care who you are. You're in the bondage of fear. We went over to this Cosmosphere deal. And uh, it was a good, it was, it was good. I enjoyed it. Ring of fire. You don't believe in hell, friend. Go and look at that thing. There was, I got a, I was on the staff at the Rock Church in Sacramento, California. In my box was a news article from the Biblical Archaeological Society. Where's that kid crying? I need to lay hands on him. I'm just kidding. If it was mine, I'd probably do it. No, I'm only kidding. I don't believe in that stuff. Just stick this in his mouth. Scientists from Finland went to Russia and dug a hole. The deepest hole ever dug, nine miles deep. They stuck a microphone down there to find out what was going on. Seismologists. And what they heard on the other side of those headphones scared them to death. They heard screams. Millions of screaming voices. They disbanded the scientific research. The Russians said, don't ever mention this again. But they went back to Finland and couldn't wait to tell people about hell at the core of the earth. You don't believe that? The best international news article of 1986 voted by the international media. The Russian cosmonauts were encircling the earth in 1986. They looked outside a portal and saw seven angels with seven trumpets. Barely reported in America. The best international news article of 1986. Why? America don't want the truth. America wants fear. Because fear brings lust and unbelief. America's a Disneyland for devils, and you're the victim if you're in fear tonight. Romans 8.15 says, For we have not received the spirit of bondage again. Now Paul's writing to Christians. He said, You don't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. You've already been delivered of that mess. But you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, saint of God, child of God, you cry, Abba, Father, let the love of God kick that thing out and give it the boot. You're not to be held in that. You're not in bondage to fear. You're not under the grip of the devil. You're not under dominion. You're not underneath it. You're free in Jesus Christ. Let's lift our hands and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Revelation chapter 3. The bottom line of the church age. John writing to the church. By the words of Jesus Christ, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold or hot. I would that thou were cold or heart, hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind. Where was Adam and Eve? The Laodicean church came under the dimension of the first fear. That's why they were caught up in attaining everything the world had. Philadelphia is where the love of God left off. Laodicea was back under the first dimension of fear. Increase with goods. What is the world really after? We talked about this the other night. They're, they want to get rich. And after you've got a yacht, and after you've got a castle, and after you're Donald Trump's grandson and have everything in the world, there's nothing else to provide. But what else does money do? It's security. It's so you don't, have to, you don't have to pray. You don't have to go to God. And so what you really are, you're motivated by the first dimension of fear because you're afraid that you won't have. You're back under. You better get the fear of God in your heart and recognize that when there's no fear of God, there's no basis for repentance and then bringeth forth judgment. That's why Laodicea is right before judgment. Revelations 19 says this. The first group that goes in the pit, but the fearful... Hallelujah. The shame of their nakedness. Everybody say praise the Lord. Thank God for the Word of God. Hallelujah. Well, just bear with me here. Glory to God. Now this scripture that I'm going to be reading to you is at the end of time. You can do your laughing. You can do your little tap dance in your own little life. But at the end of the book, friend, it's face to face. You say, preacher, you got a weird way of putting it across. This is the most powerful message this world needs. You want to know why? When I get done tonight, you're going to see how much fear is probably operating in your life tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Revelations 21, He said, according to Jesus, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my sons. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. If you're under the first dimension of fear, and you've not been liberated, this is your address. 
I speak that not to your destruction, but to bring to your attention and awaken that fear. You see, if you have no fear of God, there's no basis for repentance. Why repent? Oh, God don't really mean that. That's unbelief. Well, I will tomorrow. I, you know, I just don't feel like it today. I'm afraid what, you know, Grandma's going to say. Fear. Well, I'm in this relationship and I don't want to break it. It's immoral. Whoremonger. I like the stuff I'm doing right now and I don't want to give it into God. Abominable. If there's no fear of God, then there's no basis for repentance. And when there's no more fear of repent, no more fear of God and no more repentance, then cometh judgment. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not only immorality. Well, that's where we're at today in America. That's why I said we don't have time to play games behind this pulpit. This may not be your flavor. And this may not be the type of bottle you want put up to your lips. But God's trying to reach a nation that's going pell-mell their own way. Because they have no fear of God before their eyes. The sin of Sodom with fullness of bread. Complacency and idleness of, of time. They were unmoved, uncommitted, complacent. And there was no fear of God before their eyes. And it brought judgment. I was about 11 or 12 years old when uh, my folks moved from the San Francisco Bay Area before it got real weird to a little farming community called Turlock about eight or nine thousand people at that time and I had a lot of friendships I had built um, quite a rapport with the neighborhood kids and you guys know how it is you got your friends that you go to school with and you play sports with and slap each other on the back and throw water balloons and ring doorbells and ditch and do all that kind of weird stuff that kids do. And I'd built a lot of friendships. Very populated area where I was living. We moved to a little farming community of about eight, 9,000 people. And when we got all settled in and started going to school and stuff, it wasn't real easy for me to make friends real easy with a lot of the goat ropers. Y'all just let that one slide by. I know it's different than that. <clears throat> but you see, I went from one environment to another environment. And I went through part of the school year, and my, my folks started to say, man, you've got to you know, start making some friends. Now, my folks were good people. They provided well for us. We lived in an upper middle class area. They always had two cars in the driveway and grass was always mowed and paint job was always fresh. All the, all the walls were up. All the billboards were up. We're okay. We're the Joneses. Try to keep up with us. 
fear-oriented lifestyle. What's everybody going to think? And so my folks started to put a little bit of pressure on me about making friends. Hey, you know, something wrong with you? Don't ever tell a kid, don't ever, if you want that kid to be whole and have any type of quality of existence, don't ever start getting him to question himself at those very formative years, 11, 12, 13, where they're trying to be their, coming into that place of being their own person. Because you will divide them. And so I started to get in quite a bit of heat about not being able to make friends real well. And not intermingling. I made a couple friends, you know, they, I guess, just weren't my folks' flavor. They wanted the real popular guys. And it went on like this for a while, and I finally started to get kind of hung up about it. By the time I got to high school, actually I'd already started to hang around with the wrong crowd. Guys that smoked cigarettes. Guys that were reading the Playboy magazine sooner than they should have. Guys that were doing all kinds of weird stuff they shouldn't have been doing. But hey, I had friends. And so as it developed into high school, I started doing drugs. Here, Mayo, take this. Ah, he's all right. He's our buddy. All you had to do was puff, tune in, and drop out, and you could be part of the group. No price tag at all required. Your folks don't have to have a BMW. They don't have to make $100,000 a year. Just puff on this cigarette, puff on this joint. You're okay. My folks didn't like my friends, but I found some people that accepted me for just hanging out. And so, by the time I was a sophomore in high school, I was doing LSD, all this weird stuff that makes you see stuff. Boy, you get the Holy Ghost, you really see some stuff, man. Really blow your mind. The difference between the two is when you get the Holy Ghost, they're real. And it's good for you. USDA approved. But all the time, yeah, higher than that. Boy, they can't even give a USDA stamp on that. But all the time I was doing this experimentation of trying to, trying to make friendships. And, and, you know, had to wear the right kind of pants. and Had to wear the right kind of shirts. and Had to look mod. And had to wear, you know, go-go boots and all that stuff. And had to be cool. The bottom line is it was fear motivation. First of all, it was put on me by my folks. What's the matter? Something wrong with you? The second part was to belong to this little group, whatever it may be, and there's millions of them in high school, the jocks, the dopers, the punks. Nobody likes the heavy metal guys. The, the poindexters with the wire rim glasses that stayed in science class till 9 at night. You know, all the different groups. But to belong, you've got to identify. And so I had to look the part. And if you're here tonight and you're a young person, you, you don't even know what's going on with your life. You're automatically doing it. Because fear is at the bottom line of your life. And it's motivating you because you're worried what everybody else is going to think. And so all the time I was going through my little two-bit experimentation of, of, of 
trying to be okay. Deep inside my heart, there was a voice that said, Rick, you're really not that bad of a guy. I wasn't really a doper at heart. I mean, I just did it. I knew in my heart I was doing it only because I wanted to belong. It's different when you do it because you're whacked out and have to escape from life. I was doing it to be a part of. And there's millions of young people that follow heavy metal bands and punk bands and country groups. You name it because they want to belong and be identified because you're afraid of what everybody's going to think. Do you see how our world is using fear? It's the wicked tool of dominion for the devil. But they're the first group to go in the pit. Because God hates it so much. And so finally the school authorities came to my folks and said, Look, this guy is, is, is a doper. He's a bad guy. And all the time I'm saying, Really, man, I'm not that bad of a guy. You just hear my side of the... Shut up. See, I didn't know all that then. I didn't know it until I got the Holy Ghost. And God let me tune in through the periscope of my past. And I could pinpoint where demonic interference and wrong decisions culminated in my life. I was channeled by forces out of my control. And you'll be able to pinpoint, why do I do this? And why do I say this? And why do I respond this way? And only then can the love of God and the authority that He gave you through the baptism of the Holy Ghost help you to stop, change, go around, be healed, be delivered. Most of the religious world today now you hold on because this is going to shock your shoes off. Most of the world today religiously uses fear motivation. Was never a concept of God. Penance by the biggest denomination in the world today uses fear to punish those that violate its bylaws. Purgatory is a place, a fearful place, where you're actually purged a second time. Show me within the lids of this book that it exists. It don't exist. It's made by man. Because man even uses fear to control other men. If you don't do this, you're going to hell. If you don't do that, you're going to hell. If you, all that may be true, but why take good news and make it bad news? It's a privilege to have the Holy Ghost. It's a privilege to live for God. It's a glory to know Jesus Christ in the power of His resurrection. It's the greatest message ever given. The love of God casts out all fear. We ain't afraid of nobody in this city. We know who we are and what we got. Some group around town's putting out circulars. Holy Ghost Revival. Baloney. I dare him to stick a picture of a guy like me on there. You all know why? They got guys like that preaching the gospel. No change. Baloney. 
come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and I will be a father unto you. It's the greatest thing in the world. It ain't out of fear, it's out of love. The problem is, some of you are caught in the web of fear, but you're afraid to even get out. Because departing from a lifestyle you've known all your life brings more fear. That's why you can preach your guts out, and some saints won't accept it. Some sinners won't accept it, because they've coexisted with their problems so long, they like it the way it is. You've lost the fear of God because the fear of God is the tool or the screw that tightens you up to repent. The fear of God is not something that's suppressive. It's a liberator because it's based in love. Was it love that saved Nineveh? I think so. It would have been love that changed Sodom and Gomorrah too. But there wasn't ten righteous there. There wasn't even one righteous. He, man, he's lucky he got out of there. Love would have turned away the Noah flood. The great deluge. But everybody was filthy in his sight. And he repented that he had even made man. And so my dad gave me three choices. You got to stick with me, man. I'm bouncing all over like a ping pong ball. Woo, I may just get looser tonight. Because I'm free. I'm alive. I'm in liberty. I've got power with God. If you want it, you can have it. If you want it, you can have it. It's for everybody. Come out from the fear. If you want it, you can have it. Do whatever you want to. Glorify God. You're free. You're children of the Lord. You're not in bondage to the fear of Adam and the fear of the devil. If you've escaped the fear of the devil, jump to your feet. Some of you are afraid of the devil. That's the first dimension of fear. I'm not afraid of him. I'm not afraid of him. Greater is he. Greater is he. Harababahoshandalababahayalababahayah. <laughs> 
Hallelujah. In closing tonight, the problem that people have is they're afraid of... Now listen closely, please. The problem that you have tonight, sir, ma'am, is you do have a fear of God. But it's the devil's fear of God. Well, you know, I already go to another church. What it really is, is you're scared to death of what's happening around here. This is biblical. You show me one person that never got healed or had their eyes open that sat there and said, Amen. No, they were leaping for joy. They were biting the ceiling. They'd been delivered. They'd been healed. They'd been let free from the power of sin and the grip of the devil. The problem is, the problem is the doctrine we preach is confrontational. You either love it or you don't. And it's not that you hate it, you're afraid of it. Please listen closely and then I'm closing. I'm going to get out of the way and let God do what He's doing. The devil's perspective of coming to God is based in fear. What's everybody going to think? How are you going to change your lifestyle? How can I give up all this stuff? He's got a million of them. It produces fear. His fear so that you don't get liberated from his fear. Because when you do come to God and you get the love of God, it kicks fear out. The devil will use fear right up to the altar. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your presence. There's people among us tonight that desperately need the love of God in their heart. You're good people. What I mean is you don't, you're not out committing adultery and all kinds of stuff, but you are a, you're a long way from where God wants you to be because He loves you. Hellfire preaching was reserved for the Pharisees that already thought they was okay. When you don't accept love, God has to use fear. But it's a last resort. If you're tired of living under the guilt trip and the fear and the stress that goes with it, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. But there's young people across our land that you're so caught up in what Johnny's going to think or Billy or Sammy or whatever their name is and your little group, you're afraid of being rejected. The fear of rejection. But to those of you that have been beat by life a little bit and your soul is sick of the fear and the torment, Jesus Christ is here to help and make whole. Would you come tonight? Every eye closed, every head bowed. Can I see the hands of you that you've received this preaching? It's, it's preaching you believe. You believe God wants to bring you out of fear and depression. Thank you, sir.
Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Like I said, see, some people are, are comfortable with their fear because they use fear themselves to manipulate others. It becomes a tool. It only hurts when you become the victim. Nobody else want to be set free from fear? Hallelujah. Paul spoke, I believe it was in the book of Acts, about men that came in to spy out our liberality. I'll guarantee you what's happening in this church tonight. I doubt very seriously you'll find what's happening in this church tonight in any other church in this city. Well, you got ex-alcoholics, drug addicts, perverts, everything, jumping up and down telling everybody they meet about Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because they've been delivered from fear. They're not afraid of the religious world. They're not afraid of the financial world. They're not afraid of anybody because the fear of God liberated them. I'm opening up this altar. All you that are heavy laden with your burdens, come freely. We're not going to jerk your tie off, jerk your shirt off, make you do anything you don't want to do. We're here to lead you to the feet of Jesus Christ where you can find liberty and power. Maybe some of you came to hear how good rock and roll was and how good Hollywood was. That's a bunch of baloney. This is the greatest thing in the whole world. That's what I want to tell you about. How good He is! My past is but a hook to let me tell you about how good Jesus Christ is. The power of His love. Brother Nathan, I'm going to ask you and a couple other faithful brothers to go around this congregation and ask some of our visitors if they'd like to pray. Your, your father, if he'd like to work in this. Some of the faithful brethren. We want to invite you to come and find liberty in your soul. You've got nothing to fear of. Fear's working right now and I find it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I am free, free, free from this world of sin. Fear, I bind it in Jesus' name. By the power of the name of the Lord Jesus, I bind that fear that glues you to your seat. You're afraid. You're not liberated. You're actually afraid. But there's good news in the house. Some of us, these faithful sisters, find somebody to pray with. Bring them to the altar.